0: She was a teenage boy's dream. Candy apple red, T-tops, V8. What'd you think I was saying? Um, she was a little damaged when I found her. My, um, my 1988, 85 Ford Mustang, um, when I bought her, I was told, you know, she's got some cosmetic damage. There's some issues that you need to fix. What the owner before me failed to mention that she looked like she got hit by a train. I remember a bent frame, and so when I first got her, I had to take her to an auto place, and she was there for a couple weeks, and I keep saying she, because as a high schooler with a Mustang, it was the greatest relationship I could aspire to at the time. (laughs) Well, I got her out, and it was a beautiful day, so I took the T-tops off, and I got on Highway 70, I started heading home, and I was just excited. Highway 70 back in the 90s, the, uh, I don't know, the speed limit was due, maybe 60, 65 at the time, and I can honestly say, for the first time in my life, with that car, I was probably doing 60, 65. It was a wonderful day, the wind in my hair. Then something just happened, something crazy, something totally uh, not expected. The hood came loose and flight up. Okay, so when you're checking your battery or checking, you know, your oil and you. Crop the hood up, everything's fine, it stays in the right place at the right time. But when you're doing 60, 65 miles an hour on the highway, it comes up pretty fast. (laughs) slams into your windshield, there's glass everywhere, and I can't see. So, as the experienced, mature driver I was... (laughs) I freaked out. Like, in my head, in that split second of thinking of, well, what do I do? My first instinct was, I'm going to grab the wheel, close my eyes, and cry. Just a little bit. But then my brain said, well, that's not going to really do a great job with that. So I dukes of hazard it. I kind of like leaned out the car and I got long legs, that kind of helped me and I slowed it down and I brought it to the the, the side of the road and I got out and my heart is just racing because this was not expected. Um, And so I calmed down a little bit and, and in high school I take my pager out and I say, how do I get help? Oh, I can't. I'm stuck on the side of the road. And I immediately start getting frustrated and angry. This, my, my, my new car, new-to-me car, was in the shop for days, weeks, finally got it out. Now it's totally trashed. I'm angry. There's somebody I should be angry with. Maybe it was me. Maybe I didn't totally latch uh, the hood properly. Maybe it was the auto place. Maybe they, they forgot to do it. But that one overlooked detail led to disaster. Fast forward a few months, my Mustang is now out of the shop for the second time in its brief existence with me. Um, And it's parked in front of my parents' house because I'm in high school. We live kind of on a hill. There's a little crest. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay good times. So my mom wakes me up, my poor mother, wakes me up about four o'clock in the morning. She says, John, John, get your keys. You need to move your car. And at four o'clock in the morning, as a high schooler does, I go, uh, uh, I grab my keys. I walk out to where my car was and no longer is. I look down the road a little bit and there's, there's a T section, maybe a couple houses down, and my car is precariously perched on the edge of a rolling hill that leads into somebody's backyard and somebody's house, and it is stopped because of the stop sign has stopped it from rolling down. Did you see the irony in that? Isn't that hilarious? (laughs) Like the inanimate object said, I'll get this one, hold on. (laughs) Okay, so, some things to know about a stick shift. A, put on the emergency brake. Or B, or both, put it in gear. (laughs) because of that one overlooked detail that could have been disastrous. Um, I've kind of struggled with details all my life as a hyperactive ADHD human being. I kind of just bounce around like Tigger and I really don't see details. Matter of fact, um, in my family, I'm not really allowed to go to Kroger by myself. My wife, my wife says, it just kills our budget. So she'll give me a list and I'm thinking, hey, I love my wife and my kids, I'm gonna go listen to the Cardinals game, go to Kroger and I get things on the list. I'm very male, I look at the list, I see cheese, I see milk, I buy cheese and milk. If there's 19 things, I try to get 19 things. I come back home and Stacy's like, hey, so how'd it go? I'm like, got it, done. She's like, well, how much did it cost? I'm like, $450, I have no idea, I don't know. Well, she's like, what kind of cheese do you buy? I'm like, well, you didn't say kind of cheese, you said cheese. So I just randomly pick cheese up and throw it in the cart and randomly, you know, hey, this looks good. Not worrying about the details of how much it costs. And Stacy likes budgets and things like that. It's crazy. Matter of fact, she also says that um, numbers shouldn't be generalized. I have a nasty habit of just saying, oh, you know, it costs like $20. It could have been $28.95. That's the reason why I've never done my own taxes in 36 years. For some strange reason, the federal government looks at me and says, I'm sorry, what? And I say, I made ish money. It was above this, it was below that, I don't know. Sometimes my lack of details permeates into my spiritual life. I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I try. I try very hard to be like Christ. There are things, though, that I miss. And sometimes I'm okay with missing things. It's just the little details. What are they gonna hurt? I've struggled with details pretty much all my life. Movies, music, video games. I'm I'm a high school minister here, and I am proud and excited to be a part of that role and that team. I love hanging out with high school students, developing areas where they can take next step growth with Jesus Christ. But when you hang out with teenagers, sometimes there's a different vocab. Sometimes there's different habits and, and, and things that I even pick up. So the little details sometimes I get lost with. Um, if you're anything like me, you also might struggle with the details of living a general lifestyle for God. And this is not necessarily a great thing. We're looking at Second P- uh, Peter this morning. The Inspire series is almost complete. It has been a few months of us walking this great adventure of really cracking Scripture in Oprah, seeing exactly what God has for us. Today, we're going to be looking at First and 2 Peter. The Apostle Peter urges his readers to pay close attention to the details of living a holy life life. We're talking about living a holy life today. First of all, we might be walking in with the idea of what holiness is or holy is. If you're a first time here at church, you might not know, care what the word holy is. If you've been here forever, you might have details. But let's real quick define it and try to put it in its spot where we see in First and 2 uh, Peter. The Greek word um is translated a few different ways, but one of them is holy. One of them is set apart dedicated to God. And this one's even crazy. I love it. It's um, to be banished or banned. Because of our actions, because we act so much like God, because we are trying so hard to reflect who Jesus is, there are people that don't want us around, that we are banned or banished. So set apart, dedicated to God, even banned. Sometimes it's even easier to describe something that it's it's not. So holiness is not, here we go, here's a few things. Holiness, Holiness is not drawing away from others. It is not saying, ha ha ha, I've got my favorite toy and I'm leaving the group. Holiness is not saying, I'm better than you because God loves me and I don't think you really understand that and you act a certain way. Holiness is not removing yourself from the world and saying, I'm fine, good luck for you. Holiness is not as good as I can be attitude. Well, I'm better than that guy, so i got to be holy, because, you know, that guy. Holiness is not saying, you know what, I've been this way for 25, 30 years, I'm not going to change. Holiness is not um, removing yourself as good as it can be, and holiness is not a sinless life. You're here at a church. We're talking about Jesus. The reality is you and I desperately need His mercy and His grace because we have been separated from a great relationship with God. One of the first things we need to understand is we're broken. We are sinful people. A holiness lifestyle doesn't necessarily mean that we are now perfect. It's not like we pop out of the water out of being baptized and say, well, my sinning's done, here we go, let's do this. It's not. We are continually growing in Jesus Okay, so let's take a, a look at First Peter this morning and see what he says about living a holy lifestyle. Maybe even looking at some of the details. First of all, Peter calls followers to holy living because we have such a great hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. We see that in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5. If you want to, you can grab a Bible. If you want to do something crazy, like grab your tablet, uh, grab a phone. Uh, the Bible's everywhere nowadays. It's fantastic. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded through God's power into the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. New birth. How exciting. We are new creations. We are new people. We are made new because of the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that is fantastic. Peter says we can lead a holy life because of what Jesus did on that cross, and especially the risen Lord. He says this, resurrection of Jesus assures our victory over death. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, spoke, did amazing things. And we're here because of it. It's rippled through time. We have a great hope and a salvation through him because of that resurrection. Guys, no resurrection equals an unpaid bill that we cannot pay. We are in a position to live a holy life because we are called to it, because we've been given something so precious, something that we cannot earn, pay for, or strive for, but simply because Jesus loves us. We have a living hope that can never, uh, a living hope that can empower us to persevere all circumstances. Whatever you walked in here with, whatever is troubling your heart, whatever is on your shoulders, whatever stress in marriage or debt that you have, whatever you've walked in here with, we have the opportunity to react to it because of Jesus Christ. The salvation we find in Christ, we can lead holy lives, that we could be set apart, that we could be so culturally different that we act like God, people might look at us as weirdos or freaks. Number two, Peter calls followers to a holy living to, to be obedient children and to imitate their Father in heaven. First Peter 1, 13 through 16 says this, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children do not conform to evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. The word is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter addresses pagans here. Now, pagans is a, a horrible word. I love it. At the same time, let's define it real quick. A pagan is anyone that is ignorant of God that does not know, has really no idea of really what's happening with God, he says, listen, former pagans, you and me, former pagans. He says, listen up, there was a standard of conduct. There was a way that we acted, talked, treated people. But all of that is gone now that we have Jesus Christ. We are called to imitate our Father in heaven. Like obedient children, we need to not live in our past desires, Okay, I've got two little girls, a three and a five. Um, our house, we have some rules. Um, as three-year-olds and five-year-olds, we're trying to train them up to love Jesus, to love others, respect people. So one of the rules in the muffler house is like no biting. It's kind of a thing. You just can't get away with it like at the bank. So you do treat them now. Um, w- one of the things is uh, that you have to honor mom and dad and sister whoever the party is, everybody honors everybody and respects everybody. But one of the major issues we have in our house, and I don't know about your house, is with a three and a five-year-old, they love to run. They love, they're like track stars. I don't get it. It's fantastic. But we've had some issues in our house. I don't know why, maybe it's just my house, but we have corners of walls that maybe are razor blades. I don't get it. I don't understand. Maybe it's the brute force of the muffler girl just slamming right into the wall. But both girls now have had stitches, <laughs> um, butterfly bandages because you know you turn the corner and you smack into something, or there's a wrestling move. Uh, matter of fact, a year ago, my sweet, I know right, uh, a year ago, my four-year-old Olivia, uh, she wasn't even running. Poor sweet girl. Um, She was on her way to bed, and she was like trotting almost. Maybe she was getting ready to run, and she got caught up in her feet, um, flying through the air, landed dead on on the corner, and got nine stitches. Sweet kid. I mean, blood everywhere. Kind of weird. But sweet kid. So now it's by the penalty of being duct taped to the wall. You don't run in the muffler house. You don't run and she's starting to get it as a five-year-old, because you can see it sometimes, where like, Myra takes a toy, and she runs down the hall, and Olivia's like, ha, ha, And she looks at me and smiles, and does like the fast jog thing. (laughs) She's like, okay, I get it, okay, it's it's slowly but surely, this is something that I want to do, this is something that I have been doing forever, but I'm slowly but surely understanding there's a different code of conduct. The three-year-old on the other hand will like, jump on the wall, and bounce off, and run everywhere. Still working on that one. Um, but there's past behavior now that, that we need to act like our Father in heaven. There are things that we shouldn't do. We should stop disrespecting. We should stop. Oh, a lot of things. Um, be holy because God is holy. We will fail true, um, but we are called to aim high. We are to act like God. And it's difficult to be omnipresent, it is difficult to be everywhere at the same place and be perfect um, like God, but we are called to be like God. We can honor God through how we honor people. We can be compassionate to those Jesus is compassionate to. We can respect, take care of, give. These are all things that are very God-like, and we can do that in our lives. Follower of Christ's way of life should be characterized by holiness, set apart, even banished or banned because of our behavior. Pagan's way of life, somebody who doesn't necessarily know God, is characterized by insignificance. Chasing after dreams, chasing after desires, wants that just fade away over time. We, as insiders, we, as people that are former pagans, Peter calls and says, are called to a different standard, and that's to be holy. Number three, Peter calls followers to be uh, to holy living to influence outsiders to repent and believe in Jesus. First Peter 2, 9-12 through 12 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I like that one, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such a good life among the pagans, the outsiders, the non-believers, that they would accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Two people groups here. Those that are believers, we see chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, people belonging to God, people that are trying to act like God. These people are not defined by where they come from, what they drove to church, how tall they are, how talented they are, what kind of education they have, what kind of socioeconomic situation they're in. They're basically lumped in this category because these people have received God's mercy. That's it. Isn't that fantastic? Nothing that we can do, can ever earn, but he freely gives. These outsiders, these pagans, which is again a harsh word, but think about it, Gentiles, uh, non-Jews, those who are ignorant of God, people that are outside looking into this faith idea and saying, well, what, what, what's that? What's happening? That they are defined by nothing besides. These people have not received God's mercy. Holy living demands that we refuse to follow the culture of outsiders. As former pagans, as former people that were ignorant, Peter looks at us and says this, you are a holy nation. Act like it. Step up to the plate. Treat each other well. Love each other. Show outsiders that you are so different, they might not like it. They might push you away. More importantly, they'll look at you and say, hey, what do you have to offer? That's so crazy that I want to be a part of. He says this, We can see the similar language in Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The idea of our actions speak much louder than our words. Holy living points outsiders to the Father. If we're called to be counter-cultural... Um, First Peter gives us a few ideas on how we can live a holy life that others will going to look at and say, "Wait a minute, that's strange, that's different, that's weird." So we see in First Peter 2, 13 through three to seven, he gives us six ideas of things that you and I, those that are insiders, that we can do to influence outsiders. Some of them are fun, some of them are not. Here we go. Number one, submit to authority. Ha! <laughs> Yay! We should be a people that practice. Following authority. Because if we rebel constantly, how is that practicing to obey God, to be submissive to God? Number two, servants of God. We need to be a people that are doing things for others. Putting our time, putting our money, putting our talents, putting our gifts, putting our education to great use for this kingdom. Doing amazing things for the glory of God. Number three, showing respect. Just honestly treating each other like children of God. Number four, loving other Christians. <laughs> that seems easy until you think of Bob and you're like, I don't like Bob. I can't imagine God loving him or his mom. I mean, he's Bob. We are called to love everybody in here. So that way, other people, when they look in and say, well, at least they take care of each other instead of gossip and tear each other on social media. The last two are the best two because they hurt both. Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands. Hold on. Husbands, respect your wives. Let's play fair, guys. We should honor, respect, take care of, put on a pedestal, look for the very best, pray for, encourage, maybe even give a hug to the people that we love the most in this world. Our marriages can be an amazing example to outsiders why we put Jesus first and our spouse maybe second. That shouldn't draw people in to have a conversation. Outsiders will be far more impressed with our actions than our words. So how can we strive to make these uh, details of holy living a reality? Here we go. 1 Peter 1, 2 says this, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ sprinkled with his blood. Sanctification. Big, gigantic church word. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of it before. Maybe you heard about it 30 years ago and you have no concept or idea. Sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit shapes us into more holy and Christ-like people. It's a natural part of Christians' growth and spiritual maturity. Jesus said something amazing. He looked at his people and said, I'm promising a backup. I'm promising the Holy Spirit to help us. You and me, we have backup. We have a piece of God crazy inside of us that is spurring us on to action, who's giving us opportunities to grow, to stretch us so that we can be more holy, so we can be more set apart to be like Christ. Okay, you guys know who Alan is, right? We all love Alan. Say, yay. yay. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Alan is the guy, big tall guy, who shakes hands out of there. You know what? If you have any more questions about uh, sanctification, go ask him. <laughs> Seriously, walk up and be like, hey, Alan, sanctification, go. And he might giggle. He might, ha, ha, ha. And he might give you a dissertation. Look into it. Here we go. Uh, Romans 12.2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our thinking oftentimes shapes our behavior. I grew up um, with a great mom, kind of a dysfunctional, crazy family. Um, But in our house, as non-Christians, as pagans, um, we had a standard of living where we treated each other with words and actions that I look back on I can't believe I said those things to my mom. But it was just kind of the words, the attitudes, the tone. It was used in the house. It was just kind of a normal thing. So growing up, that's how I treated other people. I'm not blaming my mom. I'm not blaming my family. But the reality is, is I came square to face in a professional situation or in a church situation. You can't treat people like that. You can't say those kind of words. You kind of get looked at like, hey, man, what's that? The reality is, is my entire life, growing up, playing basketball, living my life, there was a certain set of words that I was allowed to use, a certain set of emotions that I was allowed just to throw up on people or be excited about. But what I've realized is this. My language, my habits never really changed until my thought process of those habits changed. I didn't one day say, oh, I should stop using that word or that tone with people because, well, whatever, it's just bad. The reality is, as I started to look at people and say, if I need to honor and respect, meet them where they are, and love them for Jesus Christ, I better respect them with my words, actions, and deeds. So my mind had to be transformed and changed so that I could, I don't know, treat people better. Uh, the renewing of your mind could look something like this. Here's some options here at SOCC. Bible studies. You know, the great thing about technology is our phones, our tablets, our computers at work, we're constantly around the Internet. The Internet is neither good nor bad. It has a ton of potential, though. Free devotions that even are emailed to you, so you have to look at them. It's fantastic. I get text reminders to read my little um, Bible gateway app. It's fantastic. Maybe that's for you. Maybe it's time to join a class here at SOCC. Sunday mornings, there's groups of people coming together and ripping scripture open, seeing exactly what God has in store for us and how we can be challenged to move on. What about joining a life group? Being in a spiritual community. Uh, Stacy and I have been a part of a small group of adults for about a year and a half, and I can honestly say I've never been more challenged than when I'm with them because they know who I am. <laughs> they know my goods. They know my bads. They know my behavior. They know my way of thinking. They pray for me. I have never been more ministered to all my Christian life than in a small group that I have an opportunity to minister with. Maybe it's being a part of a ministry team here. You know, high school, we're always looking for new adults Always looking: junior high, college, children's ministry, marrieds, young marrieds. There's even some crazy club with bicycles, motorcycles. That offended somebody. I apologize. There are tons of opportunities to be a part of a team here that is ministering and doing great things in the name of Jesus Christ. So when we are called by Peter, encouraged by Peter, really pushed to the edge of saying, "How are we set apart?" How are we dedicated to God? How are we even banished or pushed away because of our relentless struggle to be like Christ? That's my challenge for you. That's my challenge for me, as a guy who struggles with details, to fully look and say, what kind of a difference in my life would be, my life would be the difference with this holy living? Would it be with God, family, friends, work, neighbors, church, B-Town, if we all are running after the idea of representing a God that loves us beyond belief, that we are trying to imitate our Father in Heaven and that because of our actions of love and actions of following after Christ, other people are going to take notice, have conversations and become insiders, past outsiders. Imitating our Father and influencing others. Guys, that's my challenge for you. That's my challenge for me.